live from the summer hell of Podcast Central. It is Ambiguous Anthology. Jade and Melanie and we are here with a post BlurredCon episode few quick Sorry. announcements yeah as Jade like <laughs> like out. My, my, my brain died yeah <laughs> actually I went outside today that's that's probably why my brain died <laughs> no worries uh quick announcements oh July observances so it's damn near the end of July which is good because there aren't a lot of July observances the only thing is that shark week ooh ha ha happens on the discovery channel if you are a person who has cable or access to a cable box and it is unofficial celebrate u.s women's national soccer team month because they won the world cup at the beginning of this month um it's also 99 degrees in the shade so i hope y'all are staying hydrated and also why my brain is fried i keep being out here in these streets playing fucking pokemon go and Mm-mm. it's not really good for your health not really um, we also went to Blurred Con. I think the theme, I think was Black Magic mm-hmm. was the theme for this year. Next year's already been announced. It's going to be Chocolate City for Blurred Con 2020. That's funny. Or I, I like that because it's, it's in quote unquote DC. Also, sorry, I'm going to be eating ice this whole time. I'm not even going to lie. No, it's funny, it's funny you say that because I actually saw something like, so how are they going to actually incorporate the Chocolate City, like what it means being hosted in Virginia? And I was like, oh, sounds like a Maryland DMV person's upset. Yeah. No, it'll, <laughs> that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. It also makes me think of Afropunk and this idea of like black themed things, how they shift to be more incorporating of like quote unquote mainstream blackness and like what that looks like yeah which kind of goes with our theme but first we're still talking about blurred con stuff i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it brief because i am still working on my actual review but i will say that this year blurred con had a program for one day ran out on friday i'm done i I was like where's this going I um I actually attended the full weekend. Um, BlurredCon had its first J Fashion Show. We did a panel on Black Femmes and Creative Writing. Um, there are actually a lot of writing panels or like writing themed panels this year. So I was actually pretty impressed that there was a healthy mix of that. So it wasn't just like cosplay and the Black family dynamic. There was other things Whoa. like hobbies and interests that were also present along with the uh, J Fashion things, which was also pretty cool. Um. I think it was a good time. Um, it had good energy. It was just really hot. They didn't have the... Not as hot as right now, though. Hey. Yeah, no, no, no. Not, not as hot as right now. But my house has air. And for some reason, the hotel people were like, oh, man, all the black people are here. Let me just turn the AC off real quick because mm-hmm. they love that heat. And that's how it felt all three weekends. And apparently there's some issues with the elevators. I don't know. It was a lot. But it was better than last year's. So I will give it that. I have a question that you might not be able to answer, but do you know if they choose the panels based off the theme? Like other than the imagery for the the passes and like the spinny Doctor Strange looking thing that would play on the blurred con signs, what impact does the theme have on the rest of the convention? Because you said there was more writing panels this year than usual, and I'm wondering if that was like, to align with the theme and to think of the theme next year is Chocolate City, like how will that impact the people and the panels that they accept or that they invite? That's actually a really good question. I want to say that it's not affecting it, but to be honest, thinking about it in hindsight, it might be only because like, if I'm, I'm trying to remember the panelists now, there were a lot of like, there was a panel on LARPing. That was one of the writing things that I saw, and that would be related to magic and fantasy in that fantasy realm. There are things mm-hmm. like that that were present there. Yeah, no, I think that would make sense, but I don't know if they're that organized. If, not to be mean, but, like... <laughs> yeah, if they're thinking that deep. Do you do you remember what last year's theme was? Uh, um, I can actually do a quick Google and pull it up real quick. I just remember it was... Uh, the picture was like Storm and T'Challa. Also, 
work because I have to talk so much at work has been fucking up my throat. So if I sound like Kermit the Frog on a pack of Newports for this whole podcast, that's why. That's totally fine. Um, I also am experiencing some throat issues. I can't for sure figure out why. Reunion was 2018. Okay. Interesting. I think I like the theme better this year. And I, and I like... They also already have the graphic ready. Like, the like their... Um, for next their year. Their mascots. Yeah. That's already ready, so... I mean, I guess those are... I was talking to um, Roxy with some Moxie during the um time there wow sorry and something she and i were talking about was how again how it was better than last year but how the stuff that needed to be improved from last year they improved but then they added new stuff that's now going to cause like that wasn't so good of a thing so like it was good that they separated artist alley from the merchants because that was kind of an issue with space and with the wi-fi and stuff that was working but we didn't know that, so we went into Artist Alley and thought that that was all that was available when there was a whole other room that was available. Or people experienced the vice versa. There was actually um, reports on the street where there was less traffic this year for vendors and artists at BlurCon this year, especially because they separated panels to the third floor. Yeah. So on one hand, it was like, oh, that's cool that everything is separate. But on the other hand, particularly if you run out of Um, programs and if you continue to not give out maps that's not information that's clear to everybody and like you can put it on Facebook but not everybody uses Facebook so like communicating the logistics of the convention continues to be something that they have to work on all of that is to say that they're getting better every year and probably choosing the theme and the imagery way ahead of time is one of the ways in which they decided to improve. Yeah, I heard that they're still going to have it at the Hyatt Regency Hotel again next year, but they're thinking of getting like a larger space because it was a little, little crowded in there at some points. And that's fair because like as the con gets better, more and more people come and people want the unique experience that Blurred Con proposes as a convention. But now they're also competing with QuirtCon, which reminds me, I don't know if you noticed uh, or knew, but BlurCon actually had an app for the con. Hell no. How would I know they had an app? I ain't know about no damn app. And also Afropunk also had an app, and something that didn't work very well um, was that. Same thing. <laughs> same so. thing with the BlurCon app. I didn't even bother downloading it because I was like, it's, not, it's just not going to work, and I was right. It was not gonna work. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like having concrete, like tangible information for people is always a better way to go. I feel because you can always run and make more copies. It's not something that you need Wi-Fi or service or battery. Like you'll always have that. Oh, the other thing. So you mentioned space. You're right. They are gonna have to think about space. I don't think QuirtCon will provide big enough competition for a while because it's in North Carolina, and that is a little bit less accessible to people in the Mid-Atlantic region in terms of traveling, which it might be a good alternative for people who live in the South, though, which is good. But the other thing I was going to say is in terms of space, as it gets bigger, like they, I don't know what convention center space is like in D.C., like what options they really have if they need to move out of a hotel. Because I know Otakon had to move. Wait, Otakon moved to D.C., right? They moved out of Baltimore? Mm-hmm. Okay. But that then that frees up the Baltimore Convention Center, but then you can no longer claim that it's D.C.-centric. I mean, you can, but we know that it's not. You feel me? <laughs> um, so that'll be an interesting thing to see is how they compete with a convention space because that might be harder in D.C., which might be why they're in Virginia to begin with. And it's true. I'm just wondering if they want to stay in Crystal City, if there's a reason behind that. I heard that the person who made BlurredCon actually isn't even from the area, so... Which might, I think, again, goes to, like, well, it's all in the metro, so it's in D.C., and it's like, it's not, though. I'm just thinking D.C. isn't a state, and so a lot of laws and, like, regulations that you could maybe do in Virginia or in Maryland don't apply to D.C., and so just out of ease, it might be easier to keep it in Virginia. That's true. The drinks were flowing. Yeah, the drinks were flowing. You can walk down to 7-Eleven and buy some shit. But also just in terms of, like, 
I am at a convention. I want to borrow this space. DC is like, okay, sis, you need to go get this license, pay this thing, do all this. Whereas Virginia might just be like, um, that'll be six mints and a Doritos bag. Thank you. <laughs> you are regulated. You can go do it. That reminds me, speaking about regulations and like food things, uh, something that was, I think, different this year is they had 24-hour food trucks at oh, the convention. I did not know that. I didn't know that either until, I think, Saturday, because I was really fiending for some food by then. So I was just like, oh, where can I eat? Oh, well, everything closes. Virginia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the only issue with it is that, like, while yes, it was 24-7, uh, what was not guaranteed is that, one, they ran out of food pretty quickly the first day, too, so people had to restock, yeah. which is fair. But people were like, yeah, no, I'm not going to stay open all hours of the night. It's only, like, three places out of, like, maybe Mm. eight of the trucks were open after hours. And so then it was, like, use of 24 hours, but I don't think your uh, your vendors (laughs) agreed with that. Yeah. Mm. But that's just organizational things that they can improve upon within, like, the next year. Panel structure, I think, was a lot better this year, too. I think there were better, uh, better content panel-wise. I still say, though, I like Quarkon's panels better than Blurcon's panels. I'm what still... were... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, now. I was going to ask what those panels were like, though that can be an, a question that you answer offline, because speaking of content, like you mentioned, we also had a panel um, that was jam-packed. Yo, I, my mom was like, how many people were there? I said, oh, like 60. She was like, oh, that's not a lot. I said, nah, mom. The room was tight like it felt like a lot of people (laughs) we had people on the floor too so (laughs) yeah but yeah i can answer your uh quirkcon question later and i actually just finished the quirkcon uh reviews too if you wanted to read those on your spare toilet hours spare toilet hours (laughs) yeah i got the the key to the roof at at work i'm gonna just be sitting up there if you need me don't come find me But, um, yeah, we had a panel. I was surprised to see that we had so many people in there. And we were late, but that was my fault. We weren't (laughs) late. According (laughs) to Aquarius, we were right on time, okay? (laughs) Nah, we were late. Apparently, you're supposed to be 10 minutes early before the panel. Oh, well, I didn't know that, so. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, we had a a, a soft alcoholic beverage for our panel, um... Mostly for me to take the take the ease off, <laughs> put some chill take the edge in my off, mind. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, but we spoke on creative writing and some things that we covered were imposter syndrome, which is actually part of our theme today, or the flip side, the other half of the coin for today. Um, we had an activity. What else were we talking about? Oh, we just talked about applications of creative writing and, you know, why it's important, like, why we like it. And we heard some really great content, and we had good conversations with the people in the audience. Are you putting a video up anywhere? I will in the panel content post that's also available <laughs> on my blog now, but I'm waiting for um, Roxy to edit it. And edit out the, the gross bits, make it more concise. No just worries. Cl- just clean it up, you know, because yeah. it's an hour long and uh, Aquarius' hands were kind of kind of shaky. He need that tripod. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor baby. It's okay. Cool. So you guys can look out for that if you weren't one of the lucky 60 people who was able to attend in person. The video will be up on jadedisland.com shortly, <laughs> soon, eventually. <laughs> one day <laughs> maybe before august we'll see but if you want like the general overview of the content covered in the panel that is available now that blog post is ready to go and i will link it for melanie to tweet out yeah i haven't been doing a good job of that but cool yay anything else about blurred con Ooh. Uh, melanie had a cosplay at blurred con I did, but nobody knew that it was a cosplay. They were just like, oh, I like your braids. I was like, oh, thank you. I'm trying to be Sailor Pluto, but I was running out of time, so <laughs> I'm just a bitch in a vest. Honestly, buying her key staff, I think it's about, like, what, $60 for her staff? It's like $120. Oh, is it really? Yeah, or the one oh, I saw was, like, $120. <laughs> that would have been a dead giveaway, for sure, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but then, oof. I would have to carry that. It's okay. I had fun. I enjoyed my time. 
All right, so like I mentioned a little bit earlier, our theme for today is actually imposter syndrome within black communities. Um, to preface this, this is imposter syndrome that is a, within a social context and then a psychological one, which if you want to read more about that, you can do so on the panel content that we will tweet out probably on Sunday somewhere. It's my unofficial recommendation. <laughs> Do you want me but to? I'll let you. Yeah. 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 Uh, Sociology professor, this is your time. <laughs> so I think there's maybe a better term for this. Um, but one day Jade and I were texting and we were just calling it imposter syndrome. But for today, we're talking about it on the perceiving end, which is to say like people who look at you and I see you with the hemp lotion. Yep, I can tell by the bottle. I can't even see the label. I know it look expensive. Yep. Anyway, I was feeling a little dry over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm very moist. I do not need a drop of lotion. That's how you know it's hot when you don't have to put lotion on after the shower because you're gonna be sweaty. Imposter syndrome. Today we're talking about it on the perceiving end when people look at you and perceive you to be an imposter. Um, the belief that my experience is the only valid one so that if your experience doesn't match mine you're a fraud and we're speaking about this in the black community especially because um i think we both have experiences where we just walk into places where there's other black people and even though you think it's going to be really welcoming space isn't made for you because you don't align with the aesthetic of the spot um and i was also just thinking i don't want to talk about this but for diaspora wars, I feel like a big, so people will like hate on other black people, but then turn around and invite whack white folks to the cookout because they can dance on beat. And I thought the root of that was this idea of like my black experience is the only valid one and you other black person don't fit into it. But this random white person who is dancing on beat fits into a, a sliver of my experience. And so I'm willing to make space for them, even though I'm not willing to make space for other black people whose experiences in other aspects lines, aligns more with mine than Chad with the good two step. I'm trying to think about experiences in which I like vividly remember being feeling less than welcome in this space. You know, I was like, I'm here. I'm black. I, I'm also one of the Negroes here. <laughs> but um, in those spaces, um, I think the bigger, like the more common area for me to experience is, is in activism spaces. Ooh. That would be one that I think I would experience it the most. And then oddly enough, um, interacting with other black alternative dressing people yeah definitely which you would think no but <laughs> like i'm like i'm trying to count how many actually like black alternative friends that i have and it's like what two three <laughs> yikes so that's like the bulk of our discussion today um before moving on to that i want to go to this little work blib just to say um like maybe you're having trouble understanding what we're trying to describe. So a really good example of how people perceiving you as an imposter uh, shows up outside of black communities is at work, particularly if you are like a black boss lady. So for example, hmm. Honestly, I hate to do it, but Tyler Perry's movie with Taraj where um, she, oh, what men want. Yeah. She's a boss lady that's viewed as an imposter in that space. Yeah. That's she, actually a really good cinematic version of that. It is, and especially because in her workplace is, like, dominated not only by men, but by white men. Oh, something interesting that happened during our panel is that we were talking about imposter syndrome, the psychological version being, like, imposed on you because you might be surrounded by people who aren't the same as you. And someone who goes to buoy said that yeah <laughs> someone who goes to Bowie, she is a or they i don't know their pronouns are a history major and they were saying that some of the worst like reception they have had is in black history spaces by black men who are basically just like mentally circle jerking and don't care about her, them and the other black femmes in the space um because they don't see them as like legitimate and they don't see their experience or their research as legitimate or worth uh, engaging in. 
So that's interesting and how it happens within the black community. But on the outside, I think something that happens to people a lot at work is being seen as like aggressive, as not being seen as like not part of the team, as not nice because your work style or how you present yourself in work doesn't align with like the brainwash Caucasian version they want you to align with. So when I was looking at statistics for like workspaces and imposter syndrome, I thought it interesting that someone was like, yeah, only 5% are of the managerial workforce is comprised of women of color, but me, you know, like women of color, so that could include like anybody. Yeah. And so how much of that 5% is actually black women in power? And considering how we are perceived just by default, by walking in, by holding my head up, taking a breath, actually, oh, that's aggressive, or, oh, are you okay? Is something wrong? Why aren't you smiling? All yeah. these very annoying, um, I think, trigger phrases for, like, they're perceiving me as aggressive, like, immediately from the jump, no matter what I'm doing. When I was working reception, I, I'm just quiet. And that's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't feel like I have to fill up space. But because I don't fill up that space, people thought that I was either sad or that something was wrong or they need to come in and fix a problem or maybe that I wasn't doing things right, which incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I think the alternative, too, with that is people walking in and not. There's this weird thing. This happened to me. I was in a FedEx, and there was this brown man in, like, a, a dress shirt and tie right people who work in fedex wear uniforms and he was trying to get service and he like stepped to the side and stepped back and this white lady cut in front of him in line and she was like oh sorry i thought you worked here and me and the brown man both look at that white lady like clearly he doesn't and she started like stumbling over her words and trying to apologize but that's to say there's this weird thing of either people working and people walk in and assume you are in a subservient role and so they don't think that you're the manager or they find out that you are in the role of the manager or of the person they need to talk to and suddenly like you're not qualified enough for that or like there's something off about you but another thing with this is that I remember your mom had suggested that we talk about like black sabotage (laughs) and how sometimes the people at work who you think all your skin folk ain't your kin folk, basically. Yeah, this is actually a really good point to bring up in this space. Um, I'm actually really blessed because I've only, like, really seen my mom in positions of power when it comes to business and working. So I have a good example of, like, what that looks like and what that feels like. But I do know that for a lot of people, seeing a woman, uh, a black woman in power is, like, startling or jarring or something to applaud. I'm like, wow, you made it. Or, on the flip side, if you are a black person seeing another black woman in power, you're just like, ugh, why is she here? Like, what did she do to deserve that? Like, she shouldn't be there. Or are they just, what is the word I'm looking for? Kind of, like, erase the accomplishment that she made to get there. So they just assume that she's, like, she doesn't deserve to be there. And my mom's experienced that um, in real time, mostly in the jewelry industry, funnily enough. So, (laughs) yeah, it, it, it really is one of those, like, (laughs) <laughs> so black people are, are good enough to die for these diamonds but not to know like the difference between the diamonds interesting that's the motherfucking tea <laughs> <laughs> i could really go on about how um corrupt and cruel the jewelry industry is from the entire makeup and the process just from watching my mom work there like damn but that's not the podcast for that we're not here to give you the blood diamond lesson (laughs) but i am here to tell you about how there's this weird um unwritten competition for black professionals to be in and i don't know why does that make sense like like you're you go into a place and like all of a sudden you're competing but like we should be helping each other not like trying to put the other person down or get like one up them every five seconds I feel like we did talk about this briefly in which episode, me don't know. But I think it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning of, like, my experience is valid and unless you align with it, like, unless you align with it, your experience isn't valid. And I think when we talked about this before, I know that ain't feedback. Wow. Hold on. Let me. The mic says you bought cash earrings, but you didn't buy a cash mic. I hope I remember my train of thought when this done is done being a bitch. Okay, the feedback is like low. I think it's done now. It's probably not done. Anyway, I think when we last talked about this, 
we were saying uh, like sometimes black professionals won't want to help you because they're like I had to struggle so you should have to struggle mm -hmm. and it's I like yeah. so this idea of your experience has to align with mine to be valid can also bleed into so I could help you have a better experience but then it wouldn't align with mine and I don't like that so I'm not going to help you so like my question to the black people listening who do this where <laughs> What is the purpose of that? Like, what does that actually do? You're, you're not helping the company, if that's what you care about. You're not helping yourself. Um, wouldn't to empower be uh, be better for the cause in the long run? <laughs> that face. <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, wow. It's struggle 9,000. No, no, you're Gucci. You're Gucci. It's July. Mercury, Mercury said. Uh, you thought, girl. I just realized something that would be, I think, unique to nonprofit organizations, especially um, within this context, is you're black working at a nonprofit, but yet your white coworker doesn't think you have the experience. Let me to tell work you about nonprofit work. <laughs> is this on? Is this? Let me let me make sure I'm on the right side. Hello, is Hello? she here? Okay. Let me tell you about nonprofit work. <clears throat> It's all bullshit. Um, <laughs> it's all bullshit. And particularly, I have been working in nonprofit in the education sector for the past, like, two years at two radically different organizations. And there is so much, um, I believe the word is nepotism, where you just hire somebody because you know them or whatever. And there can be a lot of, um, how you say, dick sucking to get where you want to be or even just to get your job in general. So let me tell you, let me spill somebody else's tea. So somebody, a lot of people at my job, I've said this before, mm, see, the tea is hot, that's why the fire truck is out. A lot of people at my job are quitting, right? Someone who's quitting, this is their two weeks, I was talking to them, they said over the three years that they have been working at my organization, this past two months, I got promoted and a couple people also got promoted. They said that was the first time over three years they had ever seen anyone of color get promoted from that position, right? Meanwhile, my first manager, a whole bunch of other people who are also quitting, all started in my position and got, or in like an equal position and all got promoted. The difference, all those people are white women. Oh boy. <coughs> okay? So nonprofit on one hand is cool because it's not theoretically the same corporate bureaucracy, but at the same time, it means there are so many morning sucks or people who are just like they get promoted. Not to say that any of these people did or didn't deserve their promotions, but that a lot of it is based off of just like being nice and talking to people and like being Kiki Carroll in the office. Remember I told you when we were doing hiring, one of the people, the only white person who applied was the only person who had like an informal message of like, hey, so good to be talking to you. So and was being real casual with the shits. Let me not spill too much tea. <laughs> Part of the informalcy of nonprofit work I have seen makes white people feel comfortable enough to be like, if I just talk to the right person and like schmooze up against them, I'll get into a higher position or into the position that I want. And it's because it works. And that might not be that different from non-nonprofit work, but just that that's what I've seen a lot of. And that's a whole mess. And so if you're competing against people who are schmoozing it up um, with the privilege of their skin, how are you supposed to compete when you're like guaranteed to be read as aggressive and non-conforming just from walking in and taking a breath in the wrong direction? You're not facing north, right. you're, looking, you're looking south. So... How are you supposed to win against those people? How are you supposed to uh, make your way up the corporate... Is, I guess it wouldn't be corporate. You know, make your way up the hierarchy and get promoted and actually go somewhere within the company. Because it's technically what everyone should be able to do. That should be what America's business practices are in general. Is that you should be able to well, build upon or grow in your company unless you're okay with being stagnant in the area that you are. Yeah. And it's it's also like, I think a lot of black women in particular try to compensate for like not having the maybe office social skills by having a lot of qualifications and working really hard 
But then when you do that and the person who gets promoted is someone who didn't do that, who maybe had a stronger relationship with the hiring manager but didn't do as much in terms of skills, it can feel really... There's someone who is in my position who is getting a PhD. There's no reason she should be in my position. Like, that's absurd. But I don't know. I guess it's like I have all this... And I think eventually, like, she's nice, she's really sweet, and she hasn't said this, but I think eventually she will get to the point of, like, I have a fucking PhD, why am I an executive assistant? Like, that doesn't make sense. I should be the executive. (laughs) Honestly. That's, I don't like navigating office spaces anymore. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Post-trauma. It's above me. I'm beyond that. Yeah, but... I think that in the sense of imposter syndrome, both psychological and sociological, that space is very good for showing it pretty heavily, <laughs> whether it be with your coworkers or just interacting around your coworkers. Because, like, you could be that person with a PhD and think that you're still not good enough for the position that you're in and just grateful to have that position because you don't think you can do better. That's true. It'd be, Meanwhile. It'd be a whole mess. But yeah, nonprofits are extremely messy. I've never worked in one. Paid for one. I, yeah, I've been paid to work for one because I do do some nonprofit work off the books. So. <laughs> Volunteer work, honestly. But but we've talked a lot about work, um, just in general, over the past couple of episodes. So I implore you to listen to some past ones. But today, or for the rest of this discussion, we're going to be focusing more on how imposter syndrome shows up in non-professional spaces. Mm -hmm. This is dumb close. So as I mentioned in the beginning, Jade and I were texting once, and that kind of inspired this episode. So I was in line for a Jadena concert with girl. <laughs> Tell us about him I real quick. <laughs> I, I am ready to become an Igbo housewife. <laughs> I will cook fufu for you. Me, me, uh, anything. Me, I don't know. But anyway, I was in line for a Jadena concert, and I went alone because um, despite the city of New York having double the population of the state of Maryland, I never have anyone to do anything with. And... I notice this a lot more when I'm alone is that people won't make space for me. And I mean like literal physical space. Like I'm in line and you keep keying with your friends and you keep bumping into me because you're not perceiving me as like a person who deserves to exist. But this also happens when I'm with people and something. Oh, I brought up the Jadena concert, especially because, first of all, this shit was on a Tuesday. Um, I wasn't trying to be Tatiana Tuesday, but I was super conscious of how I was dressed and how that was also maybe um, impacting how I was being perceived in line. So, Fashion is actually a really good way of... <clears throat> altering perception of who you are i can definitely uh, attest to this i can i can preach on it but um i don't know where to begin with interest because there's so many types of interests in which i've been like yeah no uh, i don't actually believe that you should be here so i I wouldn't even know where to begin (laughs) let's do (laughs) fandom and activist space because you you had mentioned well you had mentioned alternative black alternative space so maybe focus on those two And I see here that you have a note about a previous episode as well. Yeah, I believe it's chapter 39. Um, Don't quote me on it. Please don't like, no, seriously, don't don't quote me on it. Chapter 39 of Fenonymy. Fenonymy. Yeah, we talked about fandoms being a, like, toxic cesspool. So, um, I guess to recirculate to that idea, um, fandoms are a very popular place in which you will be perceived as fraudulent (laughs) in that area especially if you are a black uh geek in any sense actually upon any fandom you will just be immediately invalidated (laughs) um one of my favorite um i guess social media influencers personalities persons is black girls anime her name's eunice and she makes her entire space and platform to advocate for the fact that black girls watch anime like i didn't watch 
both Inuyasha and Inuyasha the final act for someone to be like, I don't watch anime. I'm done <laughs> and Inuyasha the final act. She said, you better put some some respect on Naraku's name. Like, I suffered Kagame yelling Inuyasha 30,000 times for someone to be like, oh, no, yeah, you don't watch anime. You I don't know I've never heard about. anyone pronounce it Kagame. That's interesting. Sorry. Continue. I mean, that's how it would be written. Like, Kagome. That's how it, Yeah. Yeah. How, wait, how yeah. you heard it pronounced? <laughs> Kagome. Oh, Kagome. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say it like that, but, eh, you know. Oh, wait, are you perceiving me as fraudulent as an Inuyasha fan right now? <laughs> no, I just, like, I'm wondering, because, you know, sub versus dub, you, you feel me? Um, oh, that's actually a really good space in which you could be immediately viewed as fraudulent as if you watched hell, dub. <laughs> listen, let me watch a Gretzku in whatever format I feel. But you're right, and that black geeks and nerds are invalidated immediately, and that's how things like BlurredCon come about. But even in... I think what's more like mind blowing is when you are in that black nerd space and you're you're still being invalidated by other people, which is why I brought up that person who was talking about I go to HBCU, I thought of all places this would be the most welcoming and yet all these ashy <laughs> crusty lip having I think in feminine feminine is when we talked about like the different looks of being in a fandom. Mm-hmm. Like you could be someone who's always wearing slogan tees or like supernatural t-shirts for some reason that's the image of my head. <laughs> like you could always be wearing like a Marvel t-shirt or whatever and so people like, "Oh, I like your Deadpool tee or whatever." Or you can be like hyper femme Lolita style and that's about it. Those are your two options. And if you're not constantly wearing fan merchandise from Spencer's Hot Topic and Box Lunch or like constantly in a themed outfit, I guess, for lack of a better word, like people are not perceiving you as being capable of having this interest. Yeah, and so I like wearing graphic tees for like my personal aesthetic, but I don't like when I'm interacting with others when I'm wearing them because then they're like, oh, but did you read the manga or the source material? Did you did you read the comic? Did you know about episode 39 when he did this and that? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there's the question is, I do know about that. I know I did not read the comic, but I still enjoy whatever show I'm wearing. But with Black Girls Anime, um, she's uh, very adamant about combating against, I guess, black male anime fans because they Ooh. constantly invalidate black girls in that space. They never think that girls watch anime or black girls watch anime. It's like, oh, you didn't date us in high school and you guys only wanted uh, BTS or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, K-pop guys. And it's just like, no, that's not the case. Um, just because we had a chapstick routine in middle school doesn't mean that we didn't want a, you know, a fellow black man anime fan, you know? <laughs> that, actually thinking about that, goes back to the whole, like, black people who invalidate other black people but are willing to give white folks invites to the cookout i don't i didn't put this in here but i think part of it is like we definitely talked about this about like being desperate to be validated and aligned with whiteness Mm -hmm. and so anything that gives you that validation or alignment is something that you'll approve of and that i really sound terrible right now that can lead to you like lusting after whiteness more and being more forgiving and accepting and welcoming of them, even though you're more critical of black people. Or perhaps is why you're more critical of black people, because you're afraid of anything that might dink you off the train to white poom poom bill or whatever. Yeah, and so this is what I hate about navigating fandom spaces. Like, no matter how much I love something, and I do have, like, a lot of fandoms that, like, I enjoy being in because I really enjoy the show and I really love the content that I you know I've subscribed to but when it comes to interacting with people who also like it I'm just like I don't want to come into the space and be put under the the SAT level of questions for the show like that's annoying (laughs) and I don't know why that when you walk into a space and you're not either physically revealing that you're a fan that people are just gonna discredit you like almost immediately Another thing, thinking of like SAT level questioning, and this kind of goes into activist spaces, but also goes into more like alternative spaces, just because like I've been trying to go to different like creative spaces here in Brooklyn, 
And something that has been throwing me is like people like really obscure shit. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, you don't listen to flying monkey shits? And it's like, no, I listen to Jungle Pussy and Meg the Stuff. Like, you know what I mean? And I think when you're in very niche areas, I'm sorry the feedback is back, that if you don't like niche everything, people see that as another way to invalidate you. And it's like, oh, you listen to mainstream music? Like, you're phony, you're fraudulent, you're not, you're not niche enough to be in this niche area. And I feel that with fandom spaces and also with like activism spaces because a lot of them align with like alternative creative spaces is that people are like, you can't be communist and go twerking <laughs> on a Saturday night at industry. That doesn't make sense. And it's like, I think this criticism is given to black femmes a lot because there's this, there's this need for us to only be like mules for the movement at all times and like any source of fun will keep us from being a movement mule and so we can't have that happen. But there's definitely like this strict regulation, having problematic faves, you know, stuff like that. It's like you can't like something that's problematic or that's mainstream and also be niche. Like people won't allow you to do that. And if you're black and femme, I think it's harder because like you don't fit the stereotype of what someone who would like this is. So like for example, someone who likes anime isn't a black femme who dresses in Fashion Nova clothes all the time. Like that's not the, the image. And so you're already not fitting the stereotype. And so any little thing that even pushes you further out is just like amplified. See, Here's the thing about creative spaces, which also leads into actors in spaces, because they kind of intersect. I would say the best place to see that intersect would be uh, spoken word spaces or like poetry places, mm. open mics. I love poetry, and I like the idea of performance art a lot. And then I also want to participate in it, too. But because I don't dress in, like, what is that, uh, the girl in Black Klansman? Because I don't dress like that girl all the time does she even have a name <gasps> does she not because that would be really ugly if she doesn't have a name denise <laughs> you know the the, the, know. the token light-skinned girl who's like full activism Ooh. um Yikes. in her aesthetic and how she presents because i'm not dressing like that for like a spoken word event uh, and people aren't going to read me as being a, a a black poet i don't look like that um i immediately think about uh whiskey in the city she has the aesthetic mm. of what a black poet is you know, supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. But me, I'm wearing a fucking corset belt and, <laughs> <laughs> and some pink finger waves looking like I'm out of time. Um, that's not going to read poetry or anything like that. It's going to read like uh, maybe she models part time. Yeah, spectator. You know, the other hard thing about that is like people remember you based on how you look, right? And sometimes, so like if you keep going back to the same space, and sometimes it feels like being out of the norm should have you be more memorable. memorable. Wow. But it actually just has people forget you even more because they're like, oh, you're just here to spectate. You're not going to come back. And like there's a creative space I'm thinking of right now that I've been to three times now, and I haven't been able to go recently because of work and I won't be able to go for like another week until work. And I'm just thinking like when I go back, they're gonna think that I'm brand new all over again. God, I bet you 10 says they're gonna be like, here's a name tag or something like that. <laughs> I think sometimes when you don't fit the aesthetic, that makes you less memorable and that makes it harder to wanna keep coming back to the space because it feels like this is supposed, to, especially in alternative spaces, because it's like, oh, this should be an open space. Like these people should be friendly and welcoming and it's like you don't fit into the um what's the girl's name from doug that's a really <laughs> old cartoon the sister with the glasses who wears the beret and purple all the time like you don't look like that you don't fit into the aesthetic so you're just a spectator and even though you've been coming every single week for the past month like we still don't know your name we still don't remember you we're still and i don't fucking believe that it's because i'm quiet because i've said this before and i'll say it again there are people who behave just like me who are given space, who are not talked about behind their back, who people make the time to like 
accommodate and the difference often is that they're male or that they're white so or lighter skin so I don't believe that it's just the way that I act because if that was true all of these people would be getting treated like that and they're not but that's just to say sometimes alternative spaces can be more exclusive than like bopping around regularly and that if you aren't immediately fitting into the niche either by look or by interest because again the creative space I'm thinking about people are into like super random weird shit and I'm like I just want to learn how to video edit and like get into tv production because that's something I'm interested in and it's like yeah you're not niche enough or weird enough even though you're in here with green fucking hair so you must be new and we're not going to remember your face ever it makes me think about festivals and how that's also the place where aesthetics are if you're not like this then you don't care Ooh. afropunk actually would be a good space to talk afropunk about that too be. because that's a place that's very high aesthetic and a certain type of aesthetic for black people. yeah and when you're not like that they you're kind of just like blending into the background as a volunteer who doesn't get a break for hours at a time Anyway, uh, Afropunk is good because it's a good note because, like I was saying about BlurredCon, I'm wondering how it'll change as it expands and more quote unquote normal people start attending because Afropunk has like pretty much pushed out their initial target audience, which was black people interested in punk music because they wanted to start shifting towards like neo soul and it's still alternative blackness, but it's different and it's much more. profitable and maybe a bigger niche to um to market to yeah we had an episode on Afropunk. we did i don't remember the it's chapter. called summer sellout summer's sellout yeah <laughs> what a I title don't know the number, but that's definitely title. the title but yeah actually if, if we put ourselves in the mindset of um volunteering at Afropunk during that time and how we were actually received when we stole our break then. Oh, I actually wanted to talk to you. Sorry, keep going. I'm thinking about, like, how we interacted with vendors there. Um, The only vendor that I think was, like, relatively happy was Happy Monster, and that's because I knew that person from Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. I don't think any other vendor was as receptive and welcoming to us because we weren't in the... Mm. Super, super Afropunk aesthetic. (laughs) I was going to say, so I volunteered for the Queer Liberation March, which happened on at the same time as World Pride. And something I was thinking about was how Afropunk was actually much better organized in terms of like getting information to volunteers, making sure you knew what team you were on, making sure you know where to go, Um, which might just be like the plague of volunteering in general. But thinking, again, back to alternative spaces, being in a queer space is kind of alternative. And I thought this was really funny. One of the presenters during the Queer Liberation March, whose name I'm now not going to remember, but she was up there for black trans women. There's like a specific organization that, again, I'm not going to remember, which, I mean, hey, my bad. I'm sorry. But she said... Was it her? She was like, I would have been up here earlier, but y'all wanted to hear from all the white people first. And I was cackling because right before her, there was like another organization that works with um, like AIDS and HIV awareness and testing and helping and stuff like that. They got to speak first and they had two speakers. And the speaker that went first was an old white gay man who was basically shaming everybody. He was like, I'm not proud as proud to be gay as I was before because now everybody just wants to go out and have fun and not actually do any work. And I'm like, sir, there's people doing work. They're probably not doing work that directly benefits you, and so that's why you don't think it's work. Anyway, um, that was a very long tangent, which is to say, I don't remember what we were talking about, but... um, I just want you to know that, like, you didn't give us a cup of tea. You did the Popeye's okay, gallon of lemonade type tea gallon. in this episode. Because <laughs> that, that is too much. It's actually, okay, let's shift gears to activism for the, the remainder of our time here today. <laughs> activism spaces as a way to experience, like, you don't belong here. Um, activism, whether it be for race and ethnicity, and then also queer activism, those are two very big spaces that black fans are just... Killing the game. Not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Like, uh, we, we are powerhouses in both those spaces, but at the same time, I think we would experience the most alienation mm. in those spaces and isolation outside of the fact that we're doing the bulk of the work and labor in those yeah. spaces. Which, the question is why? Like, why would we feel alienated or isolated in those spaces when we're doing... Well, listen, we're the tank. We're the, the defense, yeah. the offense. We're, we're every part of it. Well, back to the Queer Liberation March. Um, a lot of the people were white. Like, a lot of the, like, the heads of volunteering were white. And that made me think both of, like, white people through generational wealth, through whatever, like, financially have the ability to do shit, like, volunteer for an organization for huge swaths of time where they are not being paid. Because just, like, on the whole, white people are more likely to have some other thing on the backside that allows them to, like do a job that doesn't pay for their rent and be okay. Um, but it also makes me think of like, who is in the positions that matter, right? So it's like black femmes can be doing all the operational work and it's white people who are deciding the panelists, who are deciding the programming, which isn't true of the Queer Liberation March. My note about the Queer Liberation March was that a lot of the people who were like at the heads of different volunteer teams were white. And that's an interesting image to see when, like, you're a person of color working under them and everyone who you'd be working for is white. And that creates a space where it's like, we have a shared access of marginalization, and yet I still feel, you know where I feel this the most? In gay bars. First of all, the majority of gay bars are only for men, which, I mean, whatever, that's a consequence of a myriad of things. But there's also always hella white gays. And it, like, I'll have drinks spilled on me, I'll have, like, cigarettes like ashed on me like all this stuff because it's perceived that I don't belong in this space because it's not believed that someone who looks like me can also be queer um and even if it's like acknowledged that I am queer it's still this space isn't for you and so like at town the second floor of town was all men I deliberately did not go up there because that space clearly wasn't for me but the rest of this shit the whole bottom motherfucking floor where y'all want to sing along to all these black women's songs and have drag queens do shit to Whitney Houston and all this other, like, oh, black women are okay when I'm singing, I want to dance with somebody, but then there's an actual real life black femme next to you, and suddenly this space, this queer space, oh, no, you actually don't belong here, we just want your music and your culture. So, you can share an access of marginalization with someone and still be marginalized, and that shit is annoying, I think was the point of that tangent. Um... No, no, the tangent was very much needed, and you can also think about nonprofit organizations as another space where white people are in power <sighs> and, like, don't really leave room for marginalized folk to even be up Come there on, with them. Come on, somebody. Even though somebody. it's their issues. It's, you, are, <laughs> you are adjacent to the issue. You're not even in the same lane, <laughs> and yet you're in charge of it and know how to direct change and benefits but clearly don't because you uh, have crises <laughs> every three years and have to bring in Olivia Pope type people. I'm saying um, when I had the intersection of work and activism, I just felt like I could never do both in the same space to the point that like politics is completely off the table when I'm at work because I just don't have the energy to deal with it. I'm too busy putting up a fight for a real one <laughs> out in the streets. Like, ah. what are y'all doing? <laughs> no, right. But in activism spaces i'm trying to remember the last thing that i went to where i was just like i cannot believe the disrespect (laughs) oh black woman's march oh i know actually that is a space because there were presenters there that were white and i was just like i thought this was a march for me and my kin but yeah sure go off i guess (laughs) Yo, that was, okay, this is the last thing I kind of want to say about activist spaces, is that, and I feel like this is a whole other discussion, and I definitely wrote a note on my phone, but white people are only in act, are only interested in activism when their actions can be applauded. So like I said, that one um, presenter, she said, I would have been up here earlier, but y'all wanted to listen to the white folk. It was quiet, and I was laughing in the quiet because the white people were shook, and she even said, oh, y'all didn't want to hear that. Or like... And this reminds me of, I don't remember what we went to, the March for Racial Equality, maybe, where people yeah. were like, fuck Donald Trump, hella, hella cheers, right? We need to get people out of ICE detainment. 
okay. So, or like the cheers are less significant. Like when you want to bring up the cutesy little slogans and have the pussy hats and have the real dumbed down shit that's accessible for white people to stomach, then they want to cheer and be supportive and be ooh, ooh, ah, ah, whatever. But then you start talking about some real shit of like, yeah, also, by the way, we need to do X, Y, Z all the way back through the alphabet to Z number two. Then they're like, oh, wait, I don't know about this. Like, this sounds gross. I don't like this. Or just like, Mm, that person up there is kind of real radical. Can we just talk about how Trump ain't shit again? And it's like, yes, he's not. And there's... Y'all put him there, though. <laughs> one, and two, that does not negate, like, the fact that there's... It's just exhausting. And it can... And I think the thing that's the worst is that I've had thoughts of, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Not because I don't believe in it or because I don't see the need to help, but because the people around me are just so shallow. Or... Everyone has to start somewhere, right? Like, I didn't know all of this a year ago. It's not fair for me to judge someone's knowledge base. Cool. But at the same time, if you are not open and willing to learn and to grow and to challenge yourself and to admit that you are still wrong, even as you are fighting for what's right, like, why are you here? What are you doing? It makes this space inaccessible. It makes me not want to be in this space. And I think that's the real sad outcome of it is that no matter the space, whether it's black nerds challenging other black nerds or activists who are saying that you're not the right activist because you're not going for this super base level thing, or it's alternative spaces who are saying like you're not niche enough to be in our niche. Whatever you're doing, when you're excluding people, like that's just more harmful in the end. And it just makes people want to stop trying to support you, which is the whole reason why you made the fucking space in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, take a breather, take a take a sip of water right there. All I can say for the last thing on activism, at least, is that it is really telling um, in those spaces what moments are quiet. Mm-hmm. So that's very telling. That's that's something that I've taken from my, what, my am I a veteran now? A couple years <laughs> <laughs> in these spaces. Um, it's just the silence is real fucking loud. That's that's for sure. Um, and that's a fact. We've mentioned the physical side effects of being um, viewed or perceived as fraudulent in our interest spaces. Um, I just want to re-put it back in so that we're back on back on the outline. <laughs> um, we have listed here um, people literally denying you physical space. Um, I think you experience that a little bit more than I do. Which is crazy because I'm bigger than you. It's just, it would be easy to forget me. Like, I'm so close to the ground. I just mean, like, yeah. I would just think, like, people would push aside a short person more and be like, ooh, I didn't see you there. As fucked up as that is. But, yeah. Yeah, no, it it also makes sense to me because I'm like, it would be easy to not see me. Like, I can disappear into the ground. (laughs) But, yeah, I don't know. Um, People, other side effects that are physical are ignoring your entire existence in that space um i experience this a lot in alternative style spaces which is fascinating considering you know my very leo and charismatic energy i know (laughs) you you would think that that wouldn't happen but like it it does it happens a lot um they can limit your access to the content or whatever is given there because you don't look like you're invested in it poetry spaces that's a really big perpetrator of that like oh you want to present Yes. Sorry, we were only looking for people wearing berets. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have enough enamel pins on your jean jacket from the thrift store, so Yikes. sorry. Um, and then also, <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that was a very like very readily accessible memory for me. Um, and then also cut off or out of conversations. Um, when they be treating you like Ivanka Trump. <laughs> I'm sorry, that video was so funny. Bro, um, I think... We both experience this, but in opposite spaces. <laughs> For me, I experience that aspect in fandom spaces. Because I'm just like, I know that I can say more about this thing, but for some reason, someone took a, like a, like a knife to the conversation on my end, but yet they're still vomiting yeah. words over here, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. No. Don't. Stay hydrated, bro. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. <laughs> but to wrap up the last on imposter syndrome in black communities um i'm gonna I'm leave a question for the people at home it's a listener question don't don't get me wrong i mean you can't answer it that's a possibility but why are these conversations important 
on imposter syndrome and gatekeeping for black people. Why is it important? Why don't we think in this narrative and line of thinking more frequently and why don't we challenge it more often? Um, for me, I think it's dangerous that we don't, especially in romantic senses, because that's a very easy space for you to be kind of ignored or denied physical space because interacting with, like, going on a date with a black nerd, they're oh, going to ignore your shit. So, <laughs> like, that, like, I mean, I'm just saying that, like, I, not having these conversations is dangerous for that aspect, but, you know, there's also the skin folk sabotage, right? Black professionals not wanting you to be your very best. I don't know why they yeah. But, yes, any other thoughts that you could add to the people for why we need this conversation and why it's important to not gatekeep? I think if people want to keep inviting folks to the cookout and, like, having that joke run, like, we have to talk about what that means and what that looks like. I don't know. There's just so much currently. I think there's, like, the uh, descendants of the African chattel slavery movement. There's all this diaspora war stuff. There's just like regular schmegular, my black manager at work doesn't want to see me thrive type stuff. That's so constant that like instead of just continuing to justify why we're gatekeeping, we need to shift the conversation to ask why are we so invested in like gatekeeping each other and not in in the like the way people like to have conversations of like, y'all care about this, but there's this happening in the black community and you don't care about black. Like that's also reductive and dumb and you can be conscious of multiple things at a time. But I think a lot of gatekeeping conversations that happen at differing aspects, like the root of it is probably all the same and we should shift our attention to asking why are we so invested in gatekeeping each other? Like what's the the I don't like crabs in a barrel like I don't like that um analogy <laughs> but that is a, a a thing that's happening it's like why are you so invested in like keeping people at a level in which you feel comfortable towering over them that reminds me something that you mentioned earlier about um allowing certain people to cook out I saw on a Facebook group for a certain convention that we definitely mentioned today <laughs> um, <laughs> that someone was like, I just want to know how like the non-black people of color felt at BlurredCon. Oh, I said the name. I'm done. <laughs> and so there's a whole thread, and my thing it was is, just, I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> it was a mess, and people were responding for how they felt in that space as a non-black person, and I was just in the back of my mind, I was like, why does it matter? Are we so like, are we distancing ourselves from the term blurred? Black. Also this. I was going to say, like, that's like me as a person who cannot eat peanuts going to a Reese's Pieces convention and being upset that accommodation was not made for me. That space is not made for me. They don't have to do shit for me. Like, why are you... Can people not read? Like, why are you going <laughs> to a space that is clearly for X thing and then being mad? That's the other thing, though, about black folk stuff is that for whatever reason the world has just gotten comfortable with black people like jumping through hoops to accommodate them for everything and feeling like, yeah, this space is is like literally explicitly for black people. I'm still gonna show up as Elsa from Frozen and expect to be met, met with the same amount of excitement as Killmonger number 637. It's not gonna happen, sis. Killmonger number 637 was giving me a little something more then number 636, and so I'm going to come with him with a little bit more. And you're giving me <laughs> um, moldy old mothballs because this space isn't made for you. Man. When I saw that the other day, I just, it was just, it put a it put a poor taste in my mouth because I'm like, that's not the things you should be asking for. You should care about how you're serving the people that you made this convention for and who you are profiting off of. Yeah, but, how about that? <laughs> these are conversations for another time. <laughs> All right, I will get to the listener question that is your actual listener question. So, to the people at home, what's your experience like with imposter syndrome? Um, you can leave a answer in our email. You can DM us on our social media. Everything's in Bigos Anthology except for Twitter, which is ambiguous and though. Our right. email is also anthology ambiguous because we don't have... Oh, that's true. How could I forget that? Why do I just... I think in my mind, I correct it to how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I but, have a question yeah. about the listener question. 
Do yeah. you mean imposter syndrome, like the psychological version, or imposter syndrome, like what we talked about today? I meant um, what we talked about today. If you want to explore the psychological version, you're welcome to do so. We will read it. It might not be shared in the next episode, but, you know, <laughs> I, we appreciate the thoughts and sentiments. Cool. Um, but to counter that, though, the fact that I was like, yeah, no, we're not reading it. If you do want to know more about the psychological aspect, I recommend episode 22 of Therapy for Black Girls by Dr. Joy. She goes really in-depth on that type of imposter syndrome in case you want to learn more and see the contrast of sociological imposter syndrome versus psychological and maybe you can listen to these episodes back to back who knows you could make it a podcast her, her <laughs> episodes are pretty short i mean you could do that oh yeah it's true it's short all right and then your recommendation my recommendation is brought to you by co-star but it's also kind of well i'll explain later um my recommendation is that it is okay to admit that you need rest someone during our panel had asked us because we were talking about like having to fight for your space and like fighting to prove that not to prove but to just like reinforce that you made it so you belong in that space and your voice deserves to be heard someone had asked like what happens when the the work behind the work becomes too exhausting like how do you balance the work to justify you being in a place to then do the work whatever that is and i said that you don't have to grind a hundred percent of the time like Roxanne Gay <laughs> I, I was inspired by Roxanne Gay who said like sometimes she just stops like black femmes are expected to be the movement mules and you don't have to be that all the fucking time like you can take a break especially if you're in a space where like you're not even respected or validated or seen as worthy as being there like if you want to stop by all means girl take that break but also non-girl boy individual everybody deserves to take a break Especially in this summer heat. Wee! <laughs> too much. <laughs> Alright, so for the recap, Lord have mercy. Uh, Lord. Today we gave you the Blurred Con review. We also did a extensive conversation on imposter syndrome within black communities. And when we are referencing imposter syndrome, we're going by the sociological Oh, phenomenon. I don't know if it's a sociological <laughs> phenomenon for real, for real. I am professional but unlicensed, so I don't know. <laughs> it definitely the word comes out of psychology, but you could apply it to social situations, which is fine. I, as your psychologist on hand, um, that's not licensed as well. I I approve. <laughs> but um, we gave you guys both an example outside of Black communities, and then we talked about where we experience the most, which is navigating um, spaces for our interests, whether it be fandoms, um, creative spaces, or activism. And we gave you some really, like, tangible, nitty-gritty examples for that, along with Melanie's gallon mm-hmm. of tea that she just spilled out here. And if Sally. you didn't get it, um, you need to go back and listen to it again <laughs> because that was definitely worth the $2 Popeye's gallon of, <laughs> <I'm done. laughs> of information. But I think that's all I can do for the wrap-up. I think that was actually a pretty... That might be my most decent summary of 2019. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, all right. So our listener question today is, what's your experience like with imposter syndrome? I am referring to the sociology uh, phenomenon, but you can answer the other way, too. We just might not post it if you answer it that way. But, we mean, we like your thoughts. Oh, good lord. All right, and then our recommendations are, mine is episode 22 of Therapy for Black Girls by Dr. Joy, in case you are interested in learning more about imposter syndrome, and then Melanie's, yours. My recommendation is that it is okay to admit that you need to rest. All right, and that is all that we have for you guys today. Happy podcasting, and see you when we see you. Mm